we doing this? And it's really kind of two thoughts, two reasons. Uh, number one uh, would be this is really personal to me. Uh, and generally speaking in sermon series, uh, I love to share with you things that God's been talking to me about, God's been challenging me with, God's been teaching me, taking me through, encouraging me with that kind of thing. Uh, and so generally speaking, sermon series are always personal, uh, but this one in particular is very personal uh, because in the fall of 2014, uh, I came across a passage in scripture, 1 Peter uh, chapter 4, verse 8, and it said this, most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. Most important. So that's a, a way of saying this is a really, really, really big deal. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. And for love covers over a multitude of sins. And last fall, when I read that, uh, I was incredibly convicted on two fronts. Uh, front one being, if this is most important, uh, this is not most important in my life right now. Uh, I could give you a long list of other things that were taking priority over what Scripture says. This is most important. This is a really big deal. And so I was convicted by that. And then I was also convicted of, let us love one another deeply. And uh, I remember just very clearly God just speaking to me, Michael, this is, you are not loving people as you have been loved. And so when I turned the corner, um, you know, in 2015, Kyle and I usually say, Lord, is there a theme that you and I, uh, that you want Kyle and I to be thinking through, praying through, growing in? And that was the theme for us this, this year in 2015 is learning how to love as we have been loved. Uh, and I was really convicted. I would love to stand here and tell you love, uh, loving people comes really natural to me. It doesn't. I'd love to tell you that loving people comes really, really easy, and it's just kind of something that flows, and it doesn't. And so when God convicted me that I wasn't loving as most important, I wasn't loving people as I had been loved, um, the thing that, that wasn't new, okay? That wasn't like new information. I wasn't like, wow, I didn't know I was like that. I knew I was like that. But the thing that God did differently uh, at the end of 2014 was he gave me a growing dissatisfaction for being okay with something that's not okay. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced that, that you know that maybe there's something within you. Maybe it's an attitude or a pattern or a behavior that you just know it's not right. It's not good. It's not healthy. It's not helpful. But you've been that way for so long that you've just grown okay with it. You don't want to be okay with it, but you can't think of life without being the way you just are. Well, what happened with me back in 2014, early 2015, was God created, stirred in me a new desire, a fresh desire to no longer be okay with something that I shouldn't be okay with. And so when I say that this series for me is personal, it's really personal because God is really trying to grow me and stretch me uh, in the areas of love is most important and loving other people uh, as I have been loved uh, by God. Uh, so we're about five months into 2015, and I'm definitely encouraged that I'm not where I was back in January, uh, but I'm really convicted that I've got a long way to go uh, on still learning uh, how to love people and actually loving people in the way that I've been loved. So a lot of this series is just me being able to share with you things that God's been teaching me over the last five months of what it looks like to love people as we have been loved by God. 
the second reason under why are we doing this, it's personal to me, but my heart, my hope would be that this would be incredibly personal to you as well. Uh, now, I know some have been around Genesis for a long time, and I'm not sure how you would describe Genesis to somebody if someone said, hey, tell me a little bit about that church that meets in a warehouse. Tell me a little bit about that community. I think many would say, you know, it's a pretty friendly community. It's a pretty loving community. Uh, I know that might not, not, everyone might not say that, but by and large, I've been encouraged that over the past five plus years that we've existed as a church, uh, we are growing in being a loving community, but we're, we've not arrived. We haven't like perfected the art of loving people as a church as we have been loved. Uh, in First Thessalonians, uh, Paul is writing a letter to a really young church, uh, and he says this, but we don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other, for God himself has taught you to love one another. Indeed, you already show your love for all the believers throughout Macedonia. Even so, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you to love them even more. And so as I read that and I sit with that and I, I pray over that, uh, I feel like that's, that's for us. We know that God has told us to love people. That's not new information. None of us might be sitting here and be like, wow, I didn't know I was supposed to love people. And for many of us, we are doing that. But the message that Paul gives to them and I think to us as well, uh, and why this needs to be personal, not just for me, but for all of us, uh, is this, this phrase, we urge you to love them even more. We urge you, yeah, you're doing it, but you're not done. You haven't arrived. Uh, my heart for Genesis is that we would be a really healthy church. If God wants to grow this church and allow us to meet new people, allow us to even plant more churches, that would be great. I would celebrate that. But my heart for our church is that we would be an incredibly, extremely healthy church. And a healthy church is largely going to be seen in our ability to love one another as we have been loved. Uh, Jeff Vanderselt, who's a pastor out in Seattle, wrote a great book recently called Saturate. And he said this, what God has done to you, he now wants to do through you. Just want you to hear that. What God has done to you, he now wants to do through you. God has perfectly loved you so that through you, he might love others. He pours his perfect love into your heart through his spirit in order that you might love others with the love he gives you. So I think we're doing that, but I know we need to grow in that. And so that's why I want this to be personal to all of us of what would it look like if all of us said, yeah, I really want this to be the most important thing in my life, in my relationships, in my marriage, in my home, in my parenting, in my workplace, in my neighborhood, in my community of growing and loving as we have been loved. So that's the why, is we haven't arrived. I haven't arrived. As a church, we haven't arrived. But I'm hoping that as we go through this series, the why is that we will grow. And not just in net head knowledge, but experiencing uh, loving people as we've been loved. Now, the what question, I would answer it like this. What do you think it would look like if we all did it? Like if all of us really took Jesus completely seriously, and it wasn't like, you know, you read a verse in John chapter 13 where Jesus says, love each other, just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Like what if all of us today, 
and all the people that were here in the first service as well, said, man, that's not a suggestion. That's not just a good idea. What if every single one of us said, I'm going to do that? I'm going to grow in loving people as I have been loved. What do you think would happen if we all did it? If all five, 600 people, part of Janet, what if we all said, let's go for it? Let's do the very thing that Jesus told us to do. What would happen? The answer to that question is really answered uh, in a different letter that John wrote. He said this in John 4.12, no one's ever seen God. Okay, No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. So the what, if we did this, do you know what would happen? Presence of God. Presence of God in your life. Presence of God in your home, in your marriage, in your parenting, in your friendships, in your presence of God at your workplace. Presence of God in your neighborhood, where you live, where you, where you play. What would happen if we did this is the very presence of God would be in our midst. And people who don't know God, have never seen God, have never experienced God, maybe people who don't even believe that there is a God would actually come to see and experience and know him. Why? Well, because we're learning how to love as we have been loved. Um, Tolian Chavinjan, a pastor in Fort Lauderdale, wrote a great book called Unfashionable years ago. And this is a really long quote, but if it's helpful, just close your eyes as I read this. But Uh, this to me answers the question of my heart for all of us for Genesis. As we live together in a way that's consistent with who we've been remade to be, loving as we've been loved, we become a blessing to the world by showing how sweet life can be in a community of individuals who love one another, care for one another, defer to one another, are patient with one another, and serve one another. The world would take notice of a community of men and women who refreshingly and joyfully bear one another's burdens and actively look to lay down their lives for others in need because Jesus laid down his life for them. Gosh, what would happen if we did it? Well, the people who don't know God might not believe in God. They would see such a profound expression example of God in our midst. Why? Well, because we're loving as we have been loved. And so the what of doing this series is that God would be so tangible, so present, that people in your life who don't know or are far from God would actually get to see this is who God is and this is what God is like. So as we begin this very short five-week series just called Love, I wanted to share with you the what or the why and the what. Now, what I'm going to share with you here is what I would just call the big idea. Uh, The big idea meaning like not just for today, but for this entire series. This is the big idea for, for us. We cannot give that which we have not received. We cannot give that which we have not received. So I want to be clear. I'm not suggesting that it's not possible to love someone without knowing or receiving the love that God has for you. But I do want you to know that every time we love someone or something, you are communicating who God is. Every time you love a person or a thing or every time you love, that is an expression of this is who God is. Here's a great Bible verse that you can memorize before you leave here today. 1 John 4, 8. 
God is love. So this is not something that God does. This is who he is. If God's having an off day, it's not that he ceases to love. God cannot help but love because that is who he is. And so anytime you love something or someone, that is an expression of this is who God is. So I would go as far as to say the only reason that it's even possible to love someone or love something is because of the existence of a loving God. Can you imagine if there was no God? Can you imagine if there was no God who was pure and holy and righteous and loving? This world we live in would be completely unlivable. But because there is the existence, the presence of a loving and holy God, That means that we who have a relationship with him, out of the overflow of his love in our life, others in in around us can experience uh, his, his, his great, amazing love. See, what's really sad and often tragic is um, when it's not God's love flowing out from us, it's a different version of love that's often, at, at worst, um, I would say, at at worst, tainted or distorted, uh, and maybe even worse than that, just a very self-serving love. But yet when God's love is in you, you've received that, you've known that, you are walking in that, you are enjoying that, that's the love that is flowing from you out to other people. Um, Now, if we're going to be able to love as we have been loved, and that's really the big, the heart of this series, then we must continually remain in a posture of receiving the love that God has to give to you every single day. Every day. Every moment of every day is an opportunity for you to receive from God what God so desperately wants to give to you, and it's his love for you. See, his love is not just a one-time, one-off thing. His love for you is not just like when you do really good or behave or perform or moral or righteous or religious. His love for you is every moment of every day a posture of receive my love for you so that coming from you towards everyone else would be his love. It says in Romans 5, for we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. It's a pretty cool picture of what God is doing. He wants your heart to be filled as I was with his love. And as I was thinking about this, gosh, if that's true and God really wants to pour out through his spirit, continually, consistently, his love, so that my heart would be filled with his love, then, gosh, what's wrong with my heart? (laughs) Why is my heart often not receiving the love that God wants to give? And I don't know how you would answer that question, but here's how I answer the question, because my heart is already filled with other things. Sometimes it's, it's anger, sometimes it's hurt, sometimes it's anxiety, sometimes it's frustration, sometimes it's fear, sometimes it's doubt, sometimes it's pride, sometimes it's lust. If your heart is already filled with all of these other things, then your heart is not in a position or posture to receive the love that God wants to pour into your heart. But as we empty ourselves of anxiety and fear and worry and all of these things, God fills our hearts with the love that he has to give. So for me, sometimes it's because my heart's filled with other things. And I think often the bigger thing for me is that my heart is filled with doubt. And what I mean when I say doubt, it's 
The doubt that I struggle with is, well, God is going to pour out love into a better future version of me. That once I just get over myself and all of whatever my things are, that's when God is going to really pour out his love for me. Uh, Matt Chandler, who's another pastor in Dallas, Texas area, said this, God doesn't love some future version of you, but he loves you now. And I remember when I heard that message, it was convicting but so encouraging, that God does not love a future version of you, he loves you right now, as you are. No matter what your hangups are, no matter what things you are carrying with you, no matter what you even think about him, no matter what you did yesterday or last night, no matter what you're going to, he loves not just a future version of you, a better version of you, he loves you right now. He loves you right now where you are. So as we continue this series called Love, I just wanted to encourage you with this, what I would say is a transformational truth, a big idea that we can't receive, uh, we can't give that which we have not received. And my heart for all of us today is you'd say, if that's the love that God has for me, that he wants to pour into my heart, that you would take the posture of God, I want to receive today from you what you have for me. So that when I leave here, tomorrow, the next day, next week, what's flowing out of me is the love that you've poured into my heart over and over again. Uh, I want to read a story and then share a few things with you from this story. and might be a very familiar one to some, uh, but it's the story of Jesus. And it's in his really last moments with his disciples. And his disciples were a group of men that had followed him for three years, watching, learning, and listening, and observing, and taking in all that Jesus was doing, all that Jesus was saying. And before Jesus went to the cross, uh, we see Jesus uh, doing something for his disciples uh, in washing their feet. Uh, Now, I know that doesn't really make sense in our culture. We don't, generally speaking, wash each other's feet. But in the first century in Israel, pretty dusty. And it was just a common courtesy that when someone comes into your home, you would wash their feet for them. And so I'm going to read the entire story in John 13, uh, about 16 verses. It says, Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to the Father. And he had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth. And now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Iscariot, uh, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. And so he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. And then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. And when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, You don't understand now what I am doing, but someday you will. Peter protested, you will never, ever wash my feet. And Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. And Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. And then Jesus replied to Peter, who's having a serious misunderstanding here. Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet, to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what uh, he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. 
And after washing their feet, he put on the ro- his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their masters, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Now, those are some, it's an amazing story, and there's a lot of things that we could pull out of what lessons we might learn. Jesus says, I've given you an example to follow, so follow this example. And so I wanted to highlight just three things that have been really helpful to me uh, in learning how to love as I have been loved. If Jesus says, this is the example I've given you, then what is the example that he's given us? This is not the exhaustive list, but I'll share with you three things that has been challenging but encouraging and inspiring to me about loving as I've been loved. Uh, Number one would be this, love long, love long. It says in verse one, he had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth and now he loved them to the very end. I think this is a really challenging aspect of loving people is having uh, the ability to love them in the long haul. Um, we quickly grow discouraged or disheartened, and we say to ourselves, gosh, I've been loving this person for like an hour, and it's not working. <laughs> you know, I've been loving this person for like a full day, and I tried my best, but it didn't work, so I'm done. <laughs> or maybe a week, maybe a month. Maybe some would say, gosh, I've been loving this person for years and years and years, and it doesn't seem to be making a bit of difference in their life. Now, if you only knew the story of the disciples up to just three years, and that's the only part of their life, their story that you knew, would you say that the way that Jesus loved them had a profound impact on them? I think it it certainly had an impact, but I think most of us would have to say, if we only know them up to just three years and that's it, nothing more, I think most of us would say, well, it didn't work because one of them totally betrayed him, one of them totally denied even knowing him, and the other ones, they just totally deserted him. And during their three years, man, there was a lot of fighting and bickering and going back and forth of who was the best and who was the greatest. Jesus continually having to tell these guys, you're missing the point. Why do you have such little faith? And so I think if we're honest, most of us would say, gosh, if we only have that three years body of work there, it didn't seem that Jesus' love in their life had a profound impact. But as we all know, we have more than just the first three years of their life to consider. We see that in time, the love that Jesus poured out for them transformed them to be men who began to love as they had been loved. And so a lesson that I learned from this is loving people is often inefficient, but it's what leads to lasting transformation. I didn't say not effective, but I said loving people is often inefficient. It is what leads to, but it is what leads to lasting transformation. Uh, This thought here is is coming from a book that I had read by Jonathan Dotson uh, called The Unbelievable Gospel. He said this, love is inefficient. Love recognizes people are complex and meets them in their need, suffering, despair, indifference, cynicism, confusion. Slow down 
and practice listening and love. Love is inefficient, meaning it takes time, often a long time, but just because you can't see something happening that you want to be happening doesn't mean that nothing is happening. My parents, I'm really thankful that my parents didn't get together around year 15 and have a conversation with each other that sounded something like this. Hey, sweetie, it's not working anymore. I just say we cut ties with Michael. Like, we've been trying for 15 years to love him, but he doesn't get it. He's stubborn. He's hard-hearted. We've got four other kids. Let's focus on them, and let's just let this one go. Like, I'm thankful that my mom and dad had a long view of love. And I'm thankful that at 42, they're still loving me. I'm thankful that they didn't bail on me because after 15 years or 20 years or 30 or 40 years, they were just like, gosh, we're trying. It ain't working, so let's move on. Love is often inefficient and that it takes so much time But I just want you to know, I wrote it down in my journal like this, God's love is never wasted. He will use your love to show his love. The beauty of God's love for you is that he will never tire in pouring out his love for you, ever. And so as we remain in a posture or position of receiving what we need most from love, it is that same love, that long love, that we will be able to give to people in our lives that are at best challenging or difficult or hurtful or disappointing. Now, I know that one of the obvious questions that is gonna come to some minds would be, well, do I continue loving someone who's hurtful to me? Do I continue loving someone who just rejects it? Do I continue just pouring out love into someone who is completely indifferent, is cruel, is mean-spirited, hard-hearted? Like, do I continue pouring out love into that person who utterly is rejecting it? And the answer is, yeah. Yeah, you do. Do you know why? Well, because that's what God has done for you. But I also want you to catch this lesson or this principle uh, of long love does not mean I walk with them. Okay, I want to be long love does not mean that I walk with them. I can't force myself into, if someone wants to reject, then that's their choice. I can't force myself into someone's existence, someone's life. If someone is rude and hurtful, that's not necessarily an invitation that I have to walk with them every single day, every single day, but it doesn't get me off the hook of still loving them. Uh, Carl Lentz is a... um, uh, he's another pastor of uh, Hillsong. We sing a lot of the, the, that music. He's a uh, Hillsong pastor in New York City. And in one of his messages I was listening to almost three years ago, uh, he almost said this as like a throwaway comment, but it has absolutely just helped me understand this principle. Love those who don't want it and walk with those that do. They might not want your love and that's okay. That's the decision. That's the choice they make. They might respond to you in anger and hatred and all of these other hard things, but I'm not off the hook and still loving them. But love those who don't want it and walk with those that do. Jesus loved people enough to let them walk away from him, but he loved those that wanted to follow and walk with him, and so he walked with them. 
He still loved everyone else who was mocking him. He loved everyone else that was rejecting them, but he walked with those that wanted to receive it and walk with him. So let me move on, but a question I, I wanted to ask, who is in desperate need of your long love today? Who needs your long love? Husbands, it might be your wife. Wife, it might be your husband. Parents, it might be your kids. A brother, a sister, a friend, a neighbor, a coworker. Who is in need of you saying, I will love long with you? 1 Corinthians 13 paints a picture of this is how God has loved us. And it says this, love never gives up. I think we just sang that. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It's always hopeful, endures through every circumstance. Jesus modeled for his disciples, he loved long. The second principle I would give you from Jesus' example is this, love small. (laughs) We love long, but we love small. John 13 says this, so he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. And then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. As I've already mentioned, washing feet was just a very, very small, very simple, very practical job that when someone entered your house, it was a, it was a kindness that you would extend to someone. It's amazing to me that 2,000 years later, we're talking about something as small, as insignificant, but yet as practical as Jesus washing his disciples' feet. I love that Jesus' mindset wasn't like, well, forget it. I'm going to the cross in a day, and uh, I'm going to show them how much I love them. I'm going to give them this like, really big expression of my love, which he did. But rather than saying, well, hey, they're going to see it, They're going to know it. They're going to feel it. They're going to experience that in about 30 hours. I love what Jesus does. I'm going to love small. I will love big, but I will also love small. And what he did is his love in washing their feet, it was visible. It was tangible. It was felt. It was very clear. And it was memorable. And so I wanted to ask the question, who is feeling and seeing your small love today? Now, for me, I get excited to like love extravagantly. Like I want to do awesome big things, but I often forget to do them. I often live sometimes in my head of like, oh, I can't wait to do that. It's going to be so awesome. And they're going to be like, man, that was like extraordinary, like love. That was phenomenal. And there are times, right? There are places to have an extraordinary, extravagant love, but I see in Jesus' example, he also loves small. And we often don't love small because we think it's too small. It's too insignificant. It doesn't really matter all that much. But if you ask the disciples, how many times do you think they talked about, do you remember when Jesus washed our feet? Can't believe he did that. That was absolutely amazing. So I just asked the question, who is feeling and seeing your small, experiencing your small love today? Oswald Chambers, uh, in his his devotional, uh, uh, My Utmost for His Highest, said it well, we are not meant to be seen as God's perfect, bright, shining examples, but to be seen as the everyday essence of ordinary life exhibiting the miracle of his grace. And I love that. Every day, you have the opportunity to those that you walk with, to those that walk around you, that they might experience ordinary, small, 
but everyday grace. The way that God has loved you every day in the small things, you can do that for people. I realize we might not have a clear modern day equivalent of washing someone's feet, but it could just be, hey, on your way to work tomorrow, buy some folks that you work around a cup of coffee. Maybe it's just simply sending someone a text message and say, hey, man, I love you, praying for you, hope things are going well. Maybe it's someone actually typing an email or writing a letter. I don't know what the equivalent would be for you, but we are called to follow the example of Jesus, and the example of Jesus is that he did love big. I don't want you to think I'm not, I'm not saying that, but he loved small every day. Uh, and the last one that I'll share with you this morning is we are to love long, we are to love small, and we are to love regardless. I'm going to read this one, and I think it's probably the most challenging one in these three that I'm sharing. John 13, verse 2, and then I'm going to skip to a, a conversation towards the end of chapter 13 that Peter and Jesus have. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And then fast forward to a conversation that Peter says this to Jesus. I'm ready to die for you, uh, Jesus answered. Die for me? I tell you the truth, Peter. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. So love long, love small, that's challenging. But I think often the most difficult for all of us is the aspect of love regardless. So the question is, do you think Jesus knew what these guys were going to do? Do you think Jesus knew that Judas would betray, that Peter would deny, that the disciples would completely desert him? And the answer's in the story. Yeah, obviously he knew. But yet what he knew of these men, what they were going to do, did not prevent him from still loving them. Can you imagine what it would have been like for Jesus to hold Judas's feet in his hands? knowing that he was going to run out after that very moment and betray Jesus. Like if that were me, I probably would have just twisted his ankle a little bit so he at least limped out to what he was going to do. I can't fathom what it would have been like for Jesus to hold the hand of his betrayer and still love him regardless of what Judas would do. I can't imagine what it would be like to hold the feet of Peter and wash his feet and love him like that, knowing that within a few hours, he would deny even knowing that Jesus, even knowing him. Jesus loved regardless of what he knew these men would do. He still loved them by washing their feet. Now, if we would follow the example of Jesus, we must love regardless. And this is where it's hard you and I don't have the knowledge that Jesus has of what someone might do. But often what prevents us from loving people is not what we think they might do, but what they've already done. And because they've already disappointed, because they've already hurt, because they've already let down, because they already haven't loved you, but the message, the example that we're called to follow is regardless of what they have already done or regardless of what you think they might do one day, the message of God to you is, but I loved you regardless. I loved you regardless of your rebellion, regardless of your indifference, regardless of, I loved you. And so the love that we are not just invited to give, but called to give is to love as we've been loved and we've been loved regardless. Uh, John 15, 
Jesus says this, remain in my love. Remain in my love. And then verse 12 says this, this is my commandment, love each other in the same way that I have loved you. And this is the beauty. Jesus is like, I know you can't love as you have been loved unless you remain. And so the message is you have to remain in the love that I give because the love that I give will help you love regardless of what they do or don't do. John 13 gives us an incredible example of Jesus loving. And he says, this is the example I want you to follow. To love long, to love small, and to love regardless. So, Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you, Father, for a time and a space and such as this, God, where we can just gather uh, to worship, to give thanks, to celebrate, to learn, to be challenged, to grow, to stretch. So, Father, I give thanks that this example that we see, uh, Jesus, that you washing your disciples' feet. Father, there's so much that we can learn from this, but I pray that we would not just be satisfied to learn something new. Jesus, I pray that what we are learning, what we know to be true, would begin to shape how we live. Father, I pray for the strength and the courage for all of us, that we would love long. Father, if there's anyone or many of us who are having a difficult time loving long right now because maybe the hurt and pain and is just great. Father God, I pray that you would pour afresh into our hearts the love that you have for us, that we might love long. Father, I pray if there's even maybe something we should be doing in response to what you've been laying on our hearts today in loving small. Father, if what we think is a small thing, I pray we would still do it. And God, we will trust the love small in your hands that however you want to use that to communicate how great, how big, how awesome your love is, God, I pray that we would be faithful to love small. Father, if it's an email, if it's a text, if it's a phone call, if it's buying someone a very small gift like a cup of coffee, God, I pray that we would excel in loving small. And Father, all of us here knows the pain of being unloved in response to loving. But Father, I just ask that again, you would pour fresh into each of us the ability to love regardless of what someone has done, what someone has said, or what we think someone might do. Jesus, I give thanks that you give an example to us in John 13 of loving regardless. Please strengthen us to love regardless. This morning, we want to uh, respond to what God's been talking to us about, uh, what God's been sharing with you. And uh, we do this every week in terms of we respond to God through song. Uh, so the worship team is going to lead us. Uh, and when you're ready, we invite you to sing. And these are songs that point us back to God, uh, saying, God, thank you for who you are and what you've done. And for those of you who've made a decision to say, Jesus, you are God, you are Lord, you are Savior, and you've trusted in him to be right with God, not yourself, but in him, we invite you to respond by taking communion. We've got four tables on my left and right. And so if you've made that decision to trust Christ, come celebrate communion. But this morning, we wanted to do an additional opportunity for you to respond. 
and I know that this might sound funky and weird, and that's just how we roll. But we wanted to give you the opportunity, if you never have uh, experienced someone washing your feet. And I, I know culturally that doesn't make sense in our culture, uh, but biblically this was a tangible expression of allowing someone to love you and to receive that. And so I know that maybe this is like way outside the box and the thought of someone washing your feet is too weird, but I just wanted to encourage you. If you wanted to experience just someone loving you and serving you and washing your feet, uh, myself along with a lot of our leadership team, we've got four different stations uh, set up in, in the corners of the room. Uh, and by the way, this is completely sanitary and clean. Guys are going to be washing guys' feet. Girls will wash girls' feet. We've got towels and soap. It's all good, so don't be freaked out. And I just I wanted to invite you. I know it's out there. I know it's different. Uh, but I want to come back to the point at the beginning that I was making. We cannot give that which we have not received. And I wanted you, in a very practical way, to receive somebody just serving you, somebody just loving you. And so by having someone wash your feet, that doesn't make you more spiritual. And if you don't have washed feet, that doesn't make you less spiritual. We just wanted to give you an opportunity. And so if you would uh, be desirous of that, we want to serve you in that way. We want to love you in that way. So let's respond through song, through communion, and if you'd like, uh, we'd love to serve you in washing feet as well.